We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha. Welcome to the Layman's Lounge podcast, a ministry of thelaymanslounge.com, where we exist to bring everyday theology for everyday life. So it's not like we're dumbing down theology, but just what does it have to do with normal folks, you know, the butcher and the baker and the um, web page maker. Okay, how's that? Um, Today we've got Dennis Greeson, who's got who's got i mean i think you just contributed to matthew kamenick's book um you and bruce ashford had co-authored something on ideologies or i forget which one it was but it was good and then but you've got your hand what's that saying you got your something in a bunch of fires i almost i was gonna list them out but you got so many things cooking can you just share some of the things that you got cooking right now yes so I am uh, finishing up a dissertation for my PhD on Abraham Kuyper and his public theology. I work at, for an um, organization called Bible Mesh as the associate director of the Bible Mesh Institute. We do online theological education. I live in North Carolina, have a wife and three kids, three little kids. And uh, in my free time, I write about neo-Calvinism, Kuyper, Bavink, et cetera. Um, very interested in Klaus Schilder. Um, and then I have another of a uh, number of other side things. Um, so yeah, I think you actually, I don't know if it was recent or I recently came upon it. It was like, oh, what was it? Maybe it was on, is it called the- Theamos or whatever gospel coalition thing? And it was like Skilder and Kuiper's Telos yep. or what, yeah, what was that? Article yeah, that's a, it's an article on in Thamilias, um, on Kuiper and Skilder. Yeah, there's those two have very different directions that they take their theological uh, projects, but and, and historically there's been a lot of division between those who follow Kuiper and those who follow Schilder, um, even denominationally within the Netherlands. I'm really interested in bringing them together and seeing them complement each other. So that essay um, tries to draw out where there's some overlap, especially in their eschatology. They get there from different starting points, um, but there's some commonality, I, I argue, in the essay. If we begin at the end of things where, where they see everything headed. Um, we can then work backwards and see some very small glimmers of commonality that can help bring balance and complementary notes to one another. Cause they both tend in two different extremes, at least uh, their critics held. So that's what that essay is about. So you, you like you're, you're able to, to talk on politics, but what I've been noticing is it seems most Modern neo-Calvinists are <clears throat> kind of really mainly focused on either philosophy or politics. And yeah. I'm no and you you're you're capable there, but you you give us some straight theology. And I'm a little bit more actually I'm a lot more interested in that because I'm yeah. I don't even get any of that other stuff. I just want to learn to be like a better dad, not so lazy, like yeah. care about other people, like be motivated for the Christian life. Um yeah. so Anyway, so thanks. Thanks for your labors, brother. Thanks for joining us. And uh, today specifically, um, I, I roped Dennis Greeson in for for in connection with the article he wrote called Theosis in the Thought of Herman Bavik? Question uh, mark. Thomas F. Torrance's Reconstruction of the Doctrine and its Promise for Bavink's Theology. 
And that was in the Evangel the Evangelical Review of Theology and Politics, Volume 9, 2021, page A1. So, brother, that was um I've been concerning myself a little bit lately with as I think most people have the last, I don't know, whatever lately, like sort of this notion of Trinitarian theology and participation. And I don't know yeah. if it's trendy or if it's just new to me, but I'm really yeah. glad because it's one of the few things that I, I it's really one of the few things that kind of like edifies me in a real way. So thank you for doing that. My first question for you um, is, what is um, this notion that Bob Inc. is sort of known for, but as you mentioned in the article, he's not really highlighted as much as we'd expect this notion of, quote, grace restores nature or grace restoring nature. And then the more nuanced form, which you also notate, is grace repairs and perfects nature. So starting yeah. with that, because I personally think that's such a, there's something so good in there. So can you give us what, what that is? Yeah. So the mantra, as we tend to be familiar with it in neo-Calvinist circles, and if you're not familiar with it, then that's perfectly fine. It was new and very groundbreaking to me about six or seven years ago um, and just really flipped the way that I understood how God is at work in history, accomplishing different things. Um, but Bobbing's mostly known for uh, just colloquially this grace restores nature view but if you actually drill down into a number of places in his reform dogmatics, he builds it out even further. And how he builds that out further is something I think is very important. Um, this essay with theosis, and then another one that I'm working on publishing um, that's on his, how, how he understands the image of God to function in a covenantal framework. Um, both of those are highlighting that this, this something else, that grace not only restores or brings us back to what creation ought to be, it's the only way to lead it forward into onto what it should be in its eschatological destiny. Um, let me unpack that a bit more in more concrete terms. So the whole nature and grace conversation, um, a lot of neo-Calvinists will embrace that as a way to, it's a shorthand for understanding how God relates to his creation, specifically how God relates to his creation throughout time in order to understand what his, this complex of purposes that God has in relation to what he's doing with its creation. I think neo-Calvinism wants to not flatten God's work for the, for the most part, not flatten God's work in time and history to say it's all about redemption from sin or salvation of our souls or things like that. Um, or even uh, as there are some trends in the reform tradition to say it's only to secure the final destinies of the elect and the reprobate. History only is the story of how God gets the final product of this prehistorical uh, or foundational decree that separates those two people out. Mm -hmm. Neocalism doesn't want to flatten that out, but tell the story in a myriad of ways that show that God has some purposes that may not be able to really fully fold into this idea of spiritual redemption. So this nature grace relationship helps to tease this out. And what it is, is, yeah, the medieval theologians, especially Aquinas, use this nature and grace relationship to be able to describe ontology, how, what God made, what God made relates to him. And then also how it receives its, not only its being, but its redemption from sin. Um, Bob Inc. and Kuiper and a number of other neo-Calvinists pick up that language and put it to work because it maps so well on their narrative understanding of 
scripture, the story that God's telling, but also their reading of history. And so this notion of nature and grace, um, I tend to frame it, neo-Calvinists tend to frame it as these are zones of operation or these are uh, different uh, ways that God is working in creation. I think of them as economies. These are works of God that play out across time and space that have different emphases. So with nature, that, that I guess is shorthand for what God's made. It's creation considered from a pre-fall perspective. What was God's intent about making something other than himself? Mm-hmm. And what that was, all of that, we just label that nature. Grace mm-hmm. concerns, we got to be careful with this, but grace concerns how God is addressing the effects of sin. But this notion involving that not only does grace repair, but it also perfects, helps highlight that really grace is prior to sin and the fall. Grace is concerned with how God's, what he's doing in the economy of nature, how it's being led to its final destiny, how it progresses unto that end. And so why this is important for neo-Calvinists is that how you arrange those two economies, how you relate them, will begin to determine some foundational things like your orientation towards the public square, how you understand how your life fits in God's story, and then what your task is in relation to it. Mm -hmm. For example, um, if nature and grace are held to be two distinct acts of God or economies that don't really relate, one stems from the creation, the other concerns what God is doing at the cross, but that doesn't have any organic relationship to, to nature, to, to right. creation, right? You hold those apart. You then get this duality that says what my ordinary daily, you know, nine to five life, uh, concerns is maybe ordered by God. It has direct, uh, relevance or the Bible has direct relevance in some way, but it doesn't quite relate to my spiritual condition before him and ultimately my my destiny in heaven or in the final judgment or in the new creation so if you hold those too far apart what i'm really interested in is understanding how that then leads to uh what i call a social cultural ethic your your orientation or your attitude towards how you're supposed to live and be embodied in a society so with with bavink Rightly relating them concerns seeing them as uh, flowing out of this organic unity of God's creator-creation relationship and its per- his purpose for creation, revealing him, magnifying him. Then also this idea that God creates what he does in order for it to progress, to change across time, to see moments and sequences of events that lead his creation to kind of unfold. And this is really strong in Kuiper's thought as well, uh, but with Bob Inc., there's this notion that, that, that nature is meant to be um, developed or cultivated by God's imagers in order that it might refract him in different ways or reveal him in new ways, not inconsistent with how it originally was, but that's its purpose. That's its destiny. Uh, Brian Matson did a really great study on Bobbing's thought on this and helped help me see and begin to put, put these pieces together. So a big shout out to him. But that's the that's the grace restores nature uh, view that that Bobbing is known for. So are we so most people maybe early on just sort of think grace saves me from hell and gets me to heaven. And then that's like that one compartment. And then there's the other compartment of, well, now that I'm saved and I get to go to heaven, I should like be good and do good things because like we're supposed to love God and love others. 
is that a is that an oversimplification of what people are happening so it yeah. taking that that summary of what like probably my mom thinks and what i thought yeah. most of my life but you kind of want all of your life to be spiritual or or pious yeah. or a glorifying yeah. of god so the motivation for being good as it were or being ethical you know with, with with that dualism is sort of like well what's my motivation to be good like i'm already yeah. saved if and if the yeah, goal is yeah. being saved so how i mean and you touched on all those things there but how do you kind of specifically speak to like my mom in that realm yeah. my my own personal story probably helps illustrate just how we get some purchase on that dynamic i grew up um as the son of southern baptist missionaries um in various parts of asia my upbringing was very much focused on this notion that our purpose is really to share the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, that too. You know, and, and with that, um, we, we participated in that task as a family. So I was raised to value that, to feel the urgency of that need, um, especially surrounded by people who would never have the opportunity save for us being there. Um, what I inherited from that I, a number of really good things, but also I, I didn't have the, the framework to make sense out of life that doesn't relate specifically to the need to share the gospel. Totally. Life meant to, or that relates to spiritual things like church attendance, personal devotions and Bible reading, yep. um, prayer, all these things that are, we, we, we cast in spiritual categories. Mm. And for me, they, there was a hierarchy. Those things were of utmost importance, yep. maybe because of the task, the urgency of the task, or because that's what the Bible says I ought to do, mm-hmm. or this is really, this is what characterizes a faithful Christian. So I, I went through college with that mentality and then on into seminary, um, really going to seminary to be trained theologically, to become a missionary myself. Um, my world exploded when I encountered not just um, Kuiper and Bavink and neo-Calvinism proper, but professors that were steeped in that, especially in um, uh, biblical theology or the embodiment yeah. of neo-Calvinism from a biblical theological perspective, yeah. teaching me to yeah. read scripture as a narrative that's telling a story that helps to make sense, not just of these spiritual categories in my life, yeah. but everything else. So that, that, that process of integrating, beginning to see that not only does God care about these so-called spiritual categories, he has a, a, he has crafted me as a human being to be embodied in these other categories that matter to him. They're part of his purpose and design. And there is a, there's a, a, a way forward to be faithful in those, or mm. uh, the spirit in regeneration fills me to not only be a faithful Christian in my spiritual endeavors, but also in my vocation in the mm-hmm. character uh, that I get that develops within me in the wisdom, uh, learning how God's ways shape his world, how I can participate or join in that. Mm-hmm. So I began in seminary to kind of dismantle that old way of thinking that put on a pedestal, these categories that were spiritual yeah. and say they're, they're of more importance to God. Yeah. I want to be careful because part of my own research is beginning to tease out this, this narratival emphasis uh, that neo-Calvinism has, making sense of history and God's work across history. Mm-hmm. 
understanding where we're at in history helps determine our priorities, hmm. our social cultural ethic, uh, what we ought to think about people like those who never hear the gospel, however you want to divine that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there is a certain priority to those, to those elements of spiritual life, mm-hmm. but it's because of the nature of where we're at in history located not only after the fall, but also after the cross prior to uh, Christ's return. And so there is a, there is a, a, a dominance that those, those spiritual categories do take precedence in some way. We're, and teasing that out uh, requires understanding our place in the narrative and where everything's headed. Right. That, that's, a, that's another conversation I know. But for me, this integration came through the relationship between nature and grace that I've encountered in Bob Inc. and then eventually with Kuiper as well. So let's like just a quick like example or case study. So, you know, my mom might feel pretty good about herself when she cracks open, you know, and reads, you know, what's today, like the 28th. So she reads like Proverbs 28, you know, she prays or something and she's feeling good and she gives some money to like a homeless person and that feels spiritual. But then she's commuting to work and she's, you know, she's like organizing the Excel sheet. Um, and the, the telos of the Excel sheet is to more efficiently ship, um, paper towels from point A to point B. So how in the world is where in that scenario is grace restoring nature? Hmm. Part of what you described involves vocation work that is creative. And so that creative act is part of what we are designed to do is what God created us for to do, to do things with God's creation that develop it, that harness its potentiality, that bring things out of it, that, um, serve life together. I love that. Just that alone is so awesome. I mean, when I first learned that, it's like, really, it's like, really just like, that's what we're here for. (laughs) But, 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 but that's not an ultimate end. That's an end unto magnifying God by seeing his creation reflect who he is, what he is like. So that's primary. What we're here for, even aside from the be saved element, what we're here for is to know God and magnify him. Mm. That that gets to the theosis element. We'll talk about a minute, but back to the, where do we see this dynamic playing out with the illustration you gave? Um, So there's the creative uh, element of vocation, uh, at play in the spreadsheet and the commute to work. Um, there's the being able to contemplate who God is. There's the contemplative side of who God is in the midst of the mundane, um, seeing his handiwork and creation of seeing his virtue, his character cultivated in us through things like patient commute to work. Um, that matters to God that has value. Mm-hmm. Um, Rich Mao has that new book, All That God Cares About, um, which really helps give uh, yeah. give validity to these seemingly mundane things by showing mm. how Kuiper and the neo-Calvinist tradition, th- the specific way that it values those types of things. It's not always a direct correlation to the creative work. Mm. There's more complexity to it, mm. but that is a distinct emphasis of neo-Calvinism that for me has been really beneficial. So here was a summary like a, a helpful little summary um, section that you, a little quote that you said, I'm going to read here. 
You said Bobbing's understanding of the relationship of God's work of redemption from sin to the material creation includes the notion that the cosmos from the beginning was always designed to be developed beyond its protological state into higher forms of glorification and revelation of God. You continued on grace leads creation forward and upward towards its goal. That was a good line. Good quote. By the way, we're going to link that, that journal article in the show notes. So go read it and that'll stoke you out. I think it's like 16 pages. Um, okay. In the essay, you said, quote, there's a fundamental similarity between this element of Boving's thought and the doctrine of theosis. <laughs> this essay examines Thomas F. Torrance's doctrine of theosis as a facet of his broader Trinitarian theology to highlight that not only do Bavink and Torrance bear some surprising similarities, but also Torrance provides language helpful to re-examine Bavink's eschatological anthropology in light of the category of theosis and, oh, end quote, and you sort of do that through the medium of the, the amazing Mike Habits. So I really like how you managed to, <laughs> good job, brother. You had to do some serious reading to make this happen. So First question. Um, well, the qu first, just real, real super quick. Who's Thomas yeah. Torrance? I'm hearing a lot about him lately. Just like, just real quick. Who's this guy? And then yeah. what is theosis? Yeah. So I, I, in that quote you read, you, I say that it's a surprising, there are surprising similarities. And the reason that it's surprising is People do not usually associate Bavink and Torrance. Yeah, they're separated by time, um, but also uh, Neo-Calvinism and then the, Torrance's way of going about theology. Just there's different emphases and uh, those groups don't always get along. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is a bit of a provocative. We could point to a lot of people who provide a, a foundation of theosis that then relates to Bavink's thought. I picked Torrance because there is it is this there is some surprising similarities there, and the reason for that those surprising similarities um, help give purchase on what I'm after in illustrating that for Bavink, human destiny is not just hearkening back to the creation; it's got a eschatological orientation that mm. leads the way forward. Mm. So Torrance, um, I'm not a Torrance scholar, but I've been turned on Torrance through having several friends doing PhDs on him. Um, Torrance was a Scottish theologian. Um, he ministered in the Church of Scotland, taught at Edinburgh. He died recently, just within the last uh, decade or so, uh, maybe a little bit long, older than that. His project or his focus is really recovering the fathers, the early church fathers, patristic theology, and um, reintroducing categories from their thought in order to address what he sees as um, this this um, inheritance in the Western tradition, um, perhaps he even locates it from Augustine, but there's a lot of debate over that, um, that, that separates um, knowledge apart from personally knowing God, knowledge of God's creation. Um, it has a, a stunted view of God's work in the incarnation and the uh, crucifixion. So there's a number of things that he's doing one of which is recovering Trinitarian theology. And that's, there is a broad movement right now to recover yeah. classic Nicene Trinitarian theology and be clear about the terms that we're using. Yeah, yeah. And then begin to relate that to all our other doctrines to see that as kind of the organizing motif for the whole project of theology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so torrents fits in that conversation. Um, with theosis, traditionally, if we take a literal definition, theosis means becoming God or becoming like God or um, being united to God in a way that changes what we are. Torrance's big contribution is to help us see we need we don't need to take that term literally. Right, right. Um, what we mean by theosis may be different than what people associate with that term. So in the Eastern uh, tradition, their theosis tends to be framed as being united to God's energies rather than to his being, um, so that it, it brings about a change in, in what we are. We, we participate with God in such a way that there's a metaphysical change wrought in right, right, our right. nature. Yes. Uh, that's not what Torrance means. Um, Torrance means by theosis, this idea of through the incarnation, through, through Christ, the person of the son, specifically taking to himself a human nature. He makes it possible for us to know God as he is uh, through this point of connection. And it, and for, for Torrance is important. He doesn't anywhere say this that I know of, but for Torrance, there's two different types of knowledge. There's knowing about God propositionally through his creation, et cetera. And then there's a personal knowing. And I think that maps on well to this idea in the um, reform tradition of uh, Unio Mystica of this mystical union with Christ, where we are united with him in, uh, uh, personally. So with Torrance, we can't know God. This is where the similarities with Bart pick up. We can't know God as he is, except through knowing him in the son, in the person of the son, who by being incarnate and uniting human nature to himself makes it possible for us humans to personally know him as he is. And so there's a point of connection in the incarnation that's pivotal for Torrance. And in that knowing, let me back up. What uh, There's a helpful category in Torrance's thought called onto-relationality. It's this idea that what we are as beings or what God is as a being is constituted out of the relations that one has as a person. So... Um, you know, the father is the father in classic Trinitarian grammar. The father is the father by virtue of being the father of the son. The son is the son by virtue of that onto relational link to the father of procession or, or not procession, but, but filiation. He derives his being from the father in that relation, which then, uh, frames who he is as a son in his divine nature. Um, that that notion maps onto this idea of theosis in that um, not only does God create us with the capacity to be in relationship with him, which is secured ultimately through the incarnation, mm -hmm. um, he, we are not full imagers of him. We don't possess the, the, the full picture of what humanity is to be until we're in that that personal communion with the son. So there's something imparted to us. Good, bro. Uh, in, in, it doesn't change our nature. For Torrance, it doesn't change our nature. It doesn't change what we are. Yeah. But it does it, change. It's not just positive vibrations. That's not what, <laughs> that's what I always thought the OSIS was. It was like positive vibes, but it's, it's more than that. Okay. No, sorry. Keep going. That's good. That's no, good. no, no. Yeah. Yeah. You're great. Right. So ultimately humanity can't, attain to its destiny. I think humanity, if we break that apart as a category, 
what God intends for the human person to be cannot be fulfilled until there is personal communion with God, which comes through knowing the son in his incarnate self as a union between God and man. Mm -hmm. So that, that knowledge, that's not a propositional knowledge, though it does contain propositions. It's a personal knowing that comes from knowing God through the spirit in being indwelling within us in order to know the son uh, as he is. Real quick, what is the nature of that knowing? Like it, it's on one hand, it's yeah. not mental ascent yet. How is it not mental ascent? Is it mental ascent, ascent coupled with a warm feeling? Yeah, Th this is where I think Torrance picks up some Bardian tendencies and says that we, we know him through the word. We, and that's the only way that we know him. So we encounter him in the word itself. So that personal knowing comes through not propositional knowledge, personal knowledge that, that meets us in reading the text and mm -hmm. presenting who the son is. Mm -hmm. It also requires the spirit filling us, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. All of that, I know that's a lot, um, but we can kind of call, we, we can use a shorthand term for that as that that's theotic. It's theosis. Uh, there's a, it concerns how we know God, what our destiny is as human beings, mm -hmm. et cetera. I think that maps on very well with Bavink's grace restores and perfects nature, that category. But there's not a lack of hurdles to get there. Right. And, that, and that's the contention in the essay. Bavink himself is actually really antagonistic to mm -hmm. theotic language. Mm -hmm. In the essay, I argue part of that has to do with his context. So um, there's, yeah, he's encountering uh, the Roman Catholic tradition and emphasis on mysticism, which has a, a, a hierarchy between nature and grace, which mm -hmm. spiritualizes things. Mm -hmm. and, and by using theotic language, it just emphasizes that hierarchy. It entrenches it all the more. Mm -hmm. And also the Eastern tradition where um, I think there's imprecision on what we're talking about when we talk about divinization, et cetera. So Bobbing's responding to that. And so if you you read the reform dogmatics, he's, he flat out says that that's an unhelpful category, right? But the conversation has changed since him and Torrance helps us get there mm. to show we're not taking this literally. We don't mean a literal, right, we, become, right. we become what God is, or we become like God. That's not what we mean. Yeah. Uh, we, what we mean by this is we achieve our destiny only through knowing, participating in the life of God. Right. Right. And, and you, and you even say like Torrance re just flat out rejects like the notion of like divinization or whatever. Yeah. So what, yeah. so just real quick, getting categories, what is the, what is the overlap? Are they synonymous? Where are we at with the term theosis union and participation? Yeah. Union and participation are terms that you'll find more frequently in reform circles. Um, they're safe terms. They refer to this notion that <laughs> the benefits of Christ don't necessarily come through this uh, mental ascent, but really participating in his life by being united to the spirit in order to see the son's uh, uh, kind of covenantal headship and all the work that goes into that recapitulated in us, his work of, uh, uh, of, redemption of being covenantally faithful of leading creation towards this purpose though those things become our own they're imparted to us through participation in him by the spirit 
And so that participation in the mystical union with Christ, there's a the, there's precedent in that in in uh, Calvin. There's strong precedent in that in John Owen, in Edwards. Both Owen and Edwards also tend towards theotic language too. But where theosis it, uh, goes, that I I want to point towards is that participatory language in the categories of participation and union with Christ don't quite capture this eternal destiny, this purpose that only is oh, fulfilled through that. So what I'm trying to highlight with got you. with inter, with introducing theotic language to Bavink is to bring out this is this is like front and center for Bavink, this idea that grace not only restores but perfects nature and leads it to its leads it to its destiny. Mm-hmm. All of that only happens because of the incarnation, because the creator steps into creation in order to unite his imagers to himself so that they can fulfill God's purposes with creation. There's no other way that language. I don't think participation in union with Christ strictly help us get there. Theosis. It's more provocative. It's good. You know, I I like that. You're, you're, you know, Bob Inc and Kuiper would approve of the, of the always reforming that you're adding here. You know, they hate hate the petrification, right? So good for you. You're doing what should be done. So in the book, you are in, in the article, you said, quote, the themes of perfection, mm-hmm. union with Christ and the necessity of the incarnation mm-hmm. point to the fact that Bavink's theology is profoundly ripe for the incorporation of the summative theme of theosis. This is the notion that humanity is meant to be united, united to and participate in the Trinitarian life of God, end quote. So in light of this. What are, are, I mean, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but what are some yeah. of the similarities between Torrance and Bavink? And then are, are we mainly seeing them in like, um, like in the dogmatics or like the Catholic faith, like article, or where, where are we sort of seeing this or, and what are some of the, the threads that you, that you ended up running with? Yeah. This is to appease the, uh, the Bavink, you know, the Bavink folk who are like, wait a minute. <laughs> So go read my footnotes. Um, I point specifically to the Reform Dogmatics, Volume Two and Volume Four, but also um, Bavink's essay on Common Grace. Um, those those are the big sources of this inspiration for me. Um, but there are there are others. Um, what what was the other part of your question? Where do we see it with Torrance? What what are the the what actual are similarities? starting points where you're like, all right, if Bavink sat down with Torrance, Torrance would say. Herman, I see that you said this. Have you ever considered also this reality coupled with what you just said there? Maybe in it might be union or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. I think that that would be a very provocative conversation because I think Bobbing would probably be very antagonistic to mm-hmm. Torrance's thought. Um, uh, there's uh, Torrance's focus on the today there's this great debate going on between uh, juridical or judicial understandings of the nature of the atonement and more participatory language. And mm-hmm. should we affirm penal substitutionary atonement or this notion of the benefits of Christ come in the atonement, come through union with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that divide would play out with, with both of them. But as I, as I say, despite their best efforts, there's overlap. And so where I see that with Bavink is this participatory language that informs his nature grace dialectic this the relationship between that uh you can't get there grace perfecting nature without the incarnation and that what that accomplishes 
or the way that that is accomplished is through us mystically united to the sun by the work of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't just have consequences for the individual and for our spiritual destiny. It has consequences for the whole cosmos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's Bob Inc. Torrance, I think would say a hearty amen and emphasize that really at, at heart, that's a theotic work. That's a theotic understanding. Mm. Bobbing would push back and say, but you're advocating for a change in what we are. Torrance would probably respond. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a change in what we are by being united to Christ. We don't receive some new nature. We don't also dissolve into God and lose our individuality, our personhood. We remain distinct persons. What, what that does accomplish is a, uh, a communion that, uh, changes uh, it, it 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 brings us to another level of being able to accomplish what we are in organic relationship with how god created humanity mm-hmm. and that's straight from bobbing uh, i think torrance and bobbing would both say a hearty amen to that um the the, ba- the barriers are not insurmountable i have a whole section in my essay that says you know despite these b- best efforts um there's a lot that bobbing says against this framework um what I'm after is to show that even, even with those denials, that theosis and this is a helpful category, his whole system really is set up to benefit from this theme. Yeah. But the, the caution is we need to properly define it. No, totally. Uh, good job on that, that Bob Inc. and Torrance. Um, <laughs> that was impressive. I think Bob Inc. is a, play. like, he's sort of meek. He probably would, I wonder if he would just be like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, but Kuiper would like smash a beer bottle over his head. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know a whole lot about this stuff, but I I think Julie Canlis sort of, I don't, I think she sort of gets it. That's a lady um, we interviewed a while ago, but she wrote a book. I forgot what it was called. It was called like participation in Calvin or oh, Calvin's ladder, which I recommend yeah, to yeah. the listeners. And she's sort of big on the, I, again, this is like, so, you know, you guys are like leather bound book people. And so I'm kind of tracking, but I hear like a lot of the same overlap there. So I see what you've done. Um, I, I guess my, I just got two questions left for you. The first one is yeah. what would you say? Like, what would you say? You could probably say it for Bobbing, you might not know as far as Torrance, but you could just do the best you can. What would you say each one of these guys would say is like, the telos of humanity, just like the, the one liner yeah. or the summary. Yeah. I think the categories that Bobbing uses to, that Bobbing would use to answer that are more in functional terminology. Humanity's telos is to magnify God. There's a purpose there that we're created for, for Torrance. Um, there's more personal or commun- communion, communal categories at work where it's to know God as he is. I don't think that those are uh, mutually exclusive. In fact, the whole project has been to show that those are complementary. The Mm -hmm. only way that we are able to fulfill that function is that personal knowing of God as he is, Mm -hmm. which comes through being united to him through the spirit. So um, there's just different emphases in their thought. And this is where cross-pollination between traditions uh, Mm -hmm. is so helpful especially for neo-Calvinism. I, I myself, I've not, uh, you know, I'm not part of the reformed tradition, formally speaking. So I'm, I, I grew up Southern Baptist. I remain Southern Baptist in my church membership. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, I've benefited. In fact, I'm, I'm working on a book project right now, um, proposing that Baptists really have a lot to learn from Kuiper. And there's a lot friendly in his thought, especially in his ecclesiology, that is um, uh, that would set Kuiper up to be a source of inspiration for us. Totally. Who? Why I've got you on this subject. Yeah. We got you, Bruce Ashford. Yeah. Who? Who else? Who else is kind of like in, in the the Baptist zone, or maybe just yeah. not the Dutch Reformed zone? Who are you know? I think the Anglicans camp out here a little bit too. Who? Who? Yeah. Who would you might? recommend so there there is a there is a sense that southeastern baptist theological seminary where where i am doing my phd and i teach part-time and connected to uh that that's the epicenter of this rediscover not rediscovery really this new discovery of kuiper for baptists mm. uh in fact kurt von beckham at a uh conference a number of years ago told me that the future of um this vision that kuiper has about the public square christians in the public square uh he sees that really the most promising uh, place where uh, people will be faithful to that vision is with the Southern Baptists. Whoa. <laughs> uh, he probably wouldn't say that now. Uh, and I, I don't know if I fully agree with him, but yeah, there is something, yeah. the point he was making is that there, there is a center of gravity to Southeastern mm. that has been cultivating Kuyperian studies. And so Bruce is a part of that. Heath Thomas um, is oh, yeah. a biblical theologian who's now at, at uh, Oklahoma Baptist University. Right. Um, he was part of that. In fact, he was directly influential in, in my kind of shift from this disintegrated to an integrated view of the mm-hmm. biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole host of PhD students that are doing studies in Kuiper and Bavink, et cetera. And we're all kind of finishing up now and launching wow. out into the academy. Um, Benjamin Quinn is also another important voice in this conversation. He's on faculty at Southeastern. So, um, in fact, Benjamin and I have a book, um, that we're writing right now that'll come out next year. Uh, that's kind of a primer in, in, in faith, faith and culture, but told in a bit different way. Um, so just a a plug for that. Um, Oh, that's awesome. Is Ben Quinn, the guy who wrote like the, the handbooks on, the new like got like acts or whatever like that i'm trying like is he like the biblical theology is that who i'm thinking no no his his focus is augustine and augustine and wisdom he did his phd under craig bartholomew oh okay Uh, okay yeah craig is the kind of the godfather behind baptists becoming or embracing kuiper oh yeah because he you're right i was thinking of ben glad by the way um okay this is good i asked those questions like you know i know it's, it's not like to be like have folks name drop but it's helpful like this is yes these things this kyperian thought neo calvin has yeah. really helped my own like life and piety so yeah. i always ask people that and like people never really want to like drop names because they think it's lame but i think it's awesome this yeah. is really helpful for us so thank you yeah. for sharing those yeah. okay brother closing out with this why why do you even care about this little like this subject like why yeah. are we like you know what i'm gonna write this like maybe there was a a gap out there, but coupled with the fact that it actually was compelling to you or. It's part of a broader project that I'm working on of really trying to frame what our attitude to the public square ought to be, but you can't get there until you have a solid theological foundation Mm. and your understanding of how God relates to creation specifically in time and place in history. And the, the, the story that he's telling throughout history is so influential in framing our attitudes to how uh, our attitude about how to embody the Christian faith in the world. So that's what I'm really trying to articulate or work out is 
the nature of those attitudes. What should our attitude be towards world? Schilder is helpful on this in, in certain contexts. Kuiper is helpful on this. But building a theological foundation um, in order to get there, the person I turn to first is Bob Inc. Hmm. Brother, thank you. We've been talking with Dennis Greeson in connection with his article, Theosis and the Thought of Herman Bavink, question mark, <laughs> Theosis and the Thought of Herman Bavink, Thomas F. Torrance's Reconstruction of the Doctrine and its Promise for Bavink's the- Theology, and that's in the Evangelical Review of Theology and Politics. We'll link it in the show notes. Brother, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad. We came to cheer the sad. We came to leave behind.